they became the furries, so. And God bless God them. bless the furries. You're listening to Two Leaves in a Trench Coat. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Madison. And I'm Zach. Oh boy! <laughs> in. Challenger appears. So this week we have our first guest, Zach from the podcast Classic Gaming Brothers. And he's here to tell us all about the wonders of Tokusatsu. That's right. Which has nothing to oh, do with cool. my podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's That's right. That's why I'm here. To talk about the the forgotten weeb culture of tokusatsu. Oh, oh, awesome. When people think of weebs, they think of anime, but there's more to just weebs than anime. Yeah, I think I briefly mentioned tokusatsu in... Oh, I think I mentioned it in that episode. That, that got cut? <laughs> the, the lost... The whole episode? That's lost media. <gasps> oh, no! <laughs> you also have to do a lost media episode. I'll do it about our own episode. <laughs> the episode that has been referenced in like two different episodes now and has not aired. Oops. Oh no, I mentioned Tokusatsu in the fan sub episode because most of it does not get imported and officially translated. Yeah. So a lot of fan sub groups will do Tokusatsu. Yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of how it spread to America besides the dubs that were coming out. And mm-hmm. as we'll talk about the American localizations of specific tokusatsu series mm-hmm. which one of them is incredibly popular here in america and goes by the name of power rangers but <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. baller okay so besides those i mean piracy and fan subs were kind of the way it was brought to america mm-hmm. what do you guys know about tokusatsu power rangers uh, the weird live action Sailor Moon probably counts under that yep. label. That's about it. Oh wait, no, Golden ba- Zen. No, Golden Bat. I think was only ever a movie. Still works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, movies, <laughs> movies classify too. It's uh, so. Okay. Yeah, just th- those two, for the most part. The only, like, I knew about Power Rangers before I knew it was tokusatsu and i never really watched it i just kind of caught glimpses of it and otherwise i didn't have any clue what it was until zach started talking about it a lot because you collect a bunch of like untranslated tapes and dvds and stuff yeah oh man yeah i do have a wide variety of weird bootlegs and fan sub tapes and such that i've collected over the years of tokusatsu that's awesome but yeah it is a wide range of pieces of media for one thing tokusatsu as a word just translates to special filming so really anything that Mm. uses special effects could be classified as tokusatsu i mean if you really wanted to like get pedantic with it you could be like oh star wars is tokusatsu for japan because it's special filming it uses special effects oh boy (laughs) in fact there was a tokusatsu knockoff of star wars called message from space um, back in the 70s so i mean avengers could be tokusatsu i mean it's it's really i think for purposes though i guess of what i'll talk about it's really in camera special effects Mm -hmm. and in some early cgi that they used but um a lot of the times it's mostly in camera models and people in rubber suits and like Mm -hmm. explosions in the background that sort of deal so it's more of a style than a specific genre because yeah kaiju movies would count under that with kaiju being a genre exactly but it being that filming style exactly and and kaiju movies are often considered a subgenre of tokusatsu so where tokusatsu is kind of this umbrella and then under tokusatsu you have things like kaiju and then you have the television shows like Kamen Rider and Super Sentai mm-hmm. that I'll get a little more into later. I guess before I get really started, though, uh, I don't know how familiar your audience is with the terminology of certain eras of Japan, which I'll probably be referring to a lot of during this. So there's like Japan's 
timeline of history and media is really divided up into eras and those eras correspond with the emperor for that period so i'll probably be referring mostly to the showa era which was from 1926 until 1989 which was the time of emperor hirohito who was known as emperor showa and then after that was the heisei era which was emperor akihito known as heisei which was from 89 to 2019 and then he abdicated we're currently in the era of the reiwa era for emperor naruhito so he's the current emperor the chrysanthemum throne in may of 2019 he is the emperor of japan so just if i toss around those terms showa and heisei Mm -hmm. that's just what i'm referring to i don't want people to get confused as to like what does that mean sort of deal that's a good call we have a pretty even mix of like our friends who also like anime and then friends and family that have no idea what the fuck we're talking about, but want to support us. Yeah, no, absolutely. I briefly mentioned those eras in our lost episode. Oh, good. So, so now now you have a description. But yeah, so a lot of the period that I'll be talking about primarily is the Showa era, but there is some great stuff that happens in the Heisei era as well. I'm less familiar with the... Reiwa era because that is of last year so it's it's only been not a whole lot was going on hasn't been a long time but uh yeah so we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it but i mean i we kind of got into it already so tokusatsu special filming is a genre that was really born from toho's gojira in 1954 which was kind of made to both capitalize on the popularity of the American films, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms from 1953, and the re-release of the 1930s King Kong, both of which saw releases in Japan in the 50s. So people in Japan saw these movies, they did well, and Japanese companies were like, we want that money right there. And also, Gojira or Godzilla was also used to tell the story of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And if you watch the first Godzilla film, it really stands out completely different from the rest of those, like any other Godzilla film, if you've ever seen them. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dark. It's gritty. It's focused mostly on the horrors of nuclear war. I mean, there's a whole sequence that just takes place in a hospital where you just see people affected by radiation poisoning from just being in the presence of Godzilla. It's completely different than what you'd expect from like Godzilla films just of a few years later. Really, even the next Godzilla film, Godzilla Raids Again, contains some similar themes, but also introduces another giant monster that Godzilla beats up. So then the focus is starting to shift now less on the people and more onto the monsters, which is what gave us the kaiju era of of these early tokusatsu movies. The kaiju being the giant monster, the man in a rubber suit, as you would. And Godzilla did great. Do you know why that change happened from focusing on like the aftermath of nuclear war to like big monster fights not offhand but i can assume one of the reasons was just marketability money (laughs) yeah money i mean when you're going into a sequel of something like to godzilla i mean you can't really tell the same story twice so they had to do something unique which was adding a new monster and then you kind of start already shifting from the themes of the first movie you know, they knew they wanted to make a sequel. There was money in it, so they did it. Also, it was probably easier, they realized, to make toys of Godzilla monsters when you started to add more monsters. So, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the toy the toy lines were coming out early as well. And that's going to be kind of a driving factor in all tokusatsu media is just you can make toys of it. So it, it exists. There's plenty of toys that are popular with children primarily. But as you had these kaiju monster movies coming out, it's a new toy. I mean, Mothra now. Then you had, yeah. you know, Ghidorah. And then you had Rodan. And they just kept coming and coming and coming. Son of Godzilla. Son of Godzilla, who's a terrifying little boy. Uh, he's so scary <laughs> I don't like looking. him. He's I don't like so him. so scary looking. But yeah, as we learned from Minky Momo in the Magical Girls episode, oh toys are a big driving force for things continuing to get funding and sequels to be produced. Yeah, and also knockoffs. So, I mean, one of the first mm-hmm. being Dai film created Gamera, the giant monster, which is pretty much like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much just the story of Godzilla, but this time with the turtle. So, I mean... Yeah. And he's also friend to the children. That's the other 
fact that Gamera has. He's Gamera, friend of the children. So you had these knockoffs coming out and also television shows like Ultra Q, which was kind of a precursor to Ultraman, um, where Ultra Q is a monster of the week storyline where monsters are fighting each other in each episode, but there's really no like tangent story to cover the series. People described it as the Twilight Zone of Tokusatsu because every week was something different. You never really had an overarching storyline. It was just monsters, 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 monsters. And they actually reused suits from the Godzilla movies. So one of the monsters in one of the episodes is literally Godzilla just with, like, stuff added to his his suit. Oh, no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, because the company making Ultra Q got the costume in an auction. So they were like, hey, let's use it. I mean, oh, Toho won't care. <laughs> That's so good. Ultraman later spawned off of Ultra Q. And Ultraman was this way more successful series where you had this guy who could turn into a giant superhero and he would fight monsters and that's where you started to have these kind of overarching storylines added to tokusatsu television shows um so the shows became more of like j-dramas as you would Mm -hmm. with the addition of giant monsters and robots which a lot of times tokusatsu shows tend to follow they have this kind of sense of melodrama that you would get from a J-drama. It's just like a J-drama that also has monsters in it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. and then of course we had the Godzilla, like cinematic universe that was springing up at the time. I mentioned Mothra and Rodan, they would cross over. It was really exciting because you had all of these monsters and creatures in these movies that could all interact with each other. And really Toho was this like driving factor to it. Toho was making crap ton of money from these movies and other companies really wanted to get into it and i think where tokusatsu really saw its boom was in the 1970s so as more and more and more godzilla films came out and they just started to get more kid-friendly and really ridiculous for example jet jaguar was introduced in godzilla versus megalon in the 70s and he's literally a ripoff of ultraman to the point where jet jaguar's design was created by a child who was a fan of Ultraman and just drew Ultraman and submitted it to Toho. And they're like, yeah, we'll use it. So they just... (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. And the TV shows were also starting to become more popular because color television was now a thing in the 70s. And you can make these monsters colorful and nice looking. So a company that was doing anime at the time and decided it wanted to get its hands into the toku market was Toei. And Toei began to produce a few different franchises around the same time, Mm -hmm. each with varying success. Their first was uh, Kamen Rider in 1971, which I'm less familiar with Kamen Rider than I am with what I'll talk about later, which is the Super Sentai franchise. But Kamen Rider is this masked superhero who rode a motorcycle, as his name would imply. Mm -hmm. He's actually supposed to be designed to look like a cicada, and he's... Played by multiple actors in the sense that there's, like, a new Kamen Rider all the time. Mm-hmm. You will have, like, the first Kamen Rider, and then in the original Kamen Rider series, he got replaced with a different actor. And then there's multiple series in the Kamen Rider franchise that have spun off over the years. To the point, I think it's still going on to this day, where you have a new Kamen Rider I think currently in production right now. Is it like with Doctor Who when they get a new actor, they like kind of reboot it or is it just like they change the actor in the background and the character continues? So it's always a different character. So there is a canon to it of some sort, I think, but you'll have like a different person take up the mantle of Kamen Rider, less Mm -hmm. of Kamen Rider turns into a different person like Doctor Who, more of like, like one common writer might step down and then a new one takes the place. I do know that they've done anniversary specials where like common writers from the past have shown up and teamed up. So that's always fun. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But so it is sort of similar to Doctor Who in the way that there is a in-universe explanation for the yeah. character changing. Yeah. But it's not like the exact same person just changing right. yeah. slightly. He's not like a time lord. He's he's not like regenerating into <laughs> the next common writer. They're they're just some dudes. Kamen Rider itself was created by Shotaro Ishinomori, who was known at the time for his work on different manga. Did Cyborg 009, 8-Man, and he actually was an assistant to Osama Tezuka and worked on Astro Boy (laughs) and I believe also he worked on one of Tezuka's like big comics that he worked on at that time. But he did a lot of line work and stuff on Astro Boy mangas. And 
he actually did a manga for Common Rider, and it's really dark and like gritty. Um, where uh-huh. yeah, where like they don't explain Common Rider as this guy in a costume. He actually morphs into the creature. It's a little body horror, I would say. So definitely worth checking out if you're into that sort of thing. You have my attention. Yeah, he had a different vision for the character than what Toei did. So his version is a little more gritty, I think, than Toei's version. So Toei's version was like for kids. Yeah, it was designed for children. Toei's version is also like Kamen Rider is just a weird show. Not only is there tons of spinoffs and sequels, but it's like monster of the week sort of deal where you have some really weird monsters my favorite and probably the most infamous being starfish hitler who is literally a starfish that looks like hitler um like has a like toothbrush mustache swastika emblem on him he's like over the top bizarre it's like i don't know why (laughs) but he's there starfish hitler starfish hitler you know for the kids for the kids with Kamen Rider doing pretty well, Toei was like, gotta do another. So they released in 75 Himitsu Sentai Gorenja, which was the first of the Super Sentai series and was also created by Shotaro Ishinomori. Super Sentai is this kind of genre that, I, like, the best way to describe it is they're very similar characters in that it's always about a squadron of color coordinated heroes who fight monsters. And this was what Himitsu Sentai Godanger was. It was color-coordinated heroes. They fought monsters every week. And they also had kind of a overarching storyline within the characters who all had some form of connection to each other, and they would have drama with each other, that sort of deal. And Himitsu Sentai Godanger actually was heavily influenced by an anime called Science Ninja Team Gachaman, which was by Tetsuo Yoshida and was released in America as Battle of the Planets. I know of this one, actually. Gachaman, yeah. It's sometimes just yeah. called Gachaman. And yeah. Gachaman is about a color-coordinated team of heroes who fight monsters and robots. And that was what Sentai was. It was that very, very strong resemblance. They are not canon to each other in any way, but there was obvious influence there. Go Ranger's immediate successor was called J-A-K-Q, Jinjikete. J-A-K-Q stands for Jack, Ace, King, and Queen, where all of these now color-coordinated heroes were card suites, with their main boss, like the, the leader, be called the, mm. the big one. <laughs> the, the, the big one! I thought you were going to say the Joker, yeah. and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so, both... Go Ranger and Jack, as people will call JKQ, is they kind of set up the tropes that we would love of Super Sentai and later Tokusatsu. Monsters, explosions, silly weapons. But they're missing one thing. One thing that would really make the money, and that is giant robots and mechs. Oh boy. So, Marvel Comics in 1978 stepped in to help Toei with a little project. They wanted to create a Spider-Man tokusatsu, which is called Supaidaman, as, as it's kind of <laughs> transliterated to. It's loosely based on the comic, The Amazing Spider-Man, which was being published by Marvel in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And Toei's version doesn't follow Peter Parker. It follows, I'm going to try to say this, Takuya Yamashiro, who is a 22-year-old motocross racer who gains the ability of Spider-Man when he dons a protective suit that is given to him by like an alien space god who is like the symbol of spiders. And he gets the suit because his father is murdered by like an alien mobster gang. And the space god comes to him and is like, you need to take revenge on the people who killed your father. Take the Spider-Man suit. And he's like, okay. Uh, and he just does. Thanks, space god. <laughs> yeah, he's like, thanks, space god. He gets a bracelet and he like can shoot Spider-Man's outfit out and he puts it on and he's like, I'm awesome. His suit allows him to do everything you'd expect Spider-Man to do. He can climb walls, he can swing webs, he can sense bad guys coming using a Spider-Man sense, and he can also summon a giant robot. Uh, the giant robot's name was Leopardon. It's this massive mech that he would summon when he needed it the most, which was always at the end of the episode, because obviously you don't summon it at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then he would use it to fight the monster who gen- inexplicably just grew to be the size of a building. 
A really fun fact about the show was that the giant robot they used, Leopardon, was actually only featured in the first few episodes in terms of original footage because the suit was stolen after production of the second episode. So Toei had to recycle footage for every episode following the second episode. So literally someone walked onto set, took the costume and walked off set. Like, it's gone. We don't know where it is. They still haven't found it yet. No one knows where Leopardon went. And Toei couldn't afford to build another suit because they had already gone over budget. So they just were like, oops, we gotta gotta just use footage now. So there's a lot of reuse of stock footage. Listen, it's kids. It's for kids. They're not gonna fucking notice. Yeah. Spider-Man has some great lines, very in character. For one, he says, I'm the emissary from hell. And in another episode, he pulls out a submachine gun and just shoots a bunch of people. Because uh, <laughs> oh, he's boy. a hero. Hello? Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> Spider-Man Holy is wild. Shit. My favorite thing, though, is that Spider-Man, sometimes just called Japanese Spider-Man, and Leopardon both are featured in the Marvel Spider-Verse comic series, and are rumored to be appearing in the sequel Spider-Verse movie. Um, That's been apparently the directors have been saying that they really wanted to include him, especially they they wanted to in the first one. They just couldn't find a way to put him in. They're like, he's going to be in the second one, we promise. So who knows? We might get Leopardon. We might get Spider-Man, the emissary from hell. Hopefully he has a submachine gun with him. (laughs) That's really exciting. I wonder if they chose not to include him even though they wanted to in the first movie because they went with Penny Parker instead and they sort of have the same vibe going on with the whole mech spider thing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think also they probably wanted to kind of contain it to Miles' story of becoming, you know, Spider-Man. It would have been a little complicated when you had like a mech the size of a building come in (laughs) and being like, hi. (laughs) And they also probably wanted to stick with Spider-Men that were more familiar to american audiences yes yeah absolutely i think now that they realize that the first movie did so well they're like well we can just do whatever we want <laughs> like we can just go wild japanese spider-man my beloved <laughs> but here's hoping that japanese spider-man shows up toei and marvel really didn't they didn't stop working together after spider-man they actually created a super sentai series in 79 called battle fever j which Features a color-coordinated team of superheroes, as you'd expect. However, this team is weirdly, like, based on countries of different countries around the world, which is always weird to me because the cast is all Japanese. But you have Battle France, Battle Cossack, who's supposed to be Russia, Battle Kenya, Miss America, and Battle Japan. So they're Japanese actors playing other countries, I guess, like... Hello, Italia. You know, it's like, it's weird. Don't bring Italia into this house. (laughs) Sorry, you can cut that out. This is a house of God. I meant to cut in before you moved on, but there's a documentary series on Disney Plus called Marvel 616 that talks about Japanese Spider-Man. Yes, yeah. And about how they had, like, no budget, how their Spider-Man was, like, the emissary from hell, (laughs) and, like, all this weird stuff that they did, and about how Stan Lee actually really loved the show when he saw it. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Of course he did. Yeah. They, like, interview the original actor who played Spider-Man in that show. They interview, like, a bunch of the actors who were in it. And I think it only had, like, one season. Yeah. It was, like, uh, I think it was, like, 50-something episodes, though, but... Mm. Uh, so there's there's plenty of Spider-Man to go around. Oh. 41 episodes and a movie. So yeah, they, they, it was 41 episodes. Uh, they had a movie. Unfortunately, it hasn't been released in America officially. It was very temporarily available on the Marvel Comics website up until the Disney acquisition of Marvel. And then they <sighs> redid the website and a bunch of content got taken off the website, including the entirety of Spider-Man. That is one of those things that pretty much just exists via bootlegs at this point and fan subs, which is unfortunate. The same thing happened with the LucasArts takeover. A lot of the original last season of like half-finished Clone Wars episodes that were fully voiced but not completely animated. You can't find them on on the website anymore, which is fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Hopefully, I'm hoping that Disney Plus does what they've 
been doing with like legacy products and and put Spider-Man yeah. on, but I think there is probably some licensing stuff with Toei. So if Disney and Toei can get their act together, maybe we'll see Spider-Man come on. Maybe in time Please. for the for the for the new movie. That would be nice. Hey, universe god of yeah. spiders? Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you do us a yes. solid? Please, dear space god Spider-Man, just please send us your gift. The Super Sentai series continued to expand in the 80s. The rest of the Showa period was like, it was, I have a list here. Denji Man, Sun Vulcan, Goggle V, Dynaman, Bioman, Change Man, Flash Man, Mask Man, Life Man. <laughs> All man. So many man. And then we begin the Heisei era with Turbo Ranger, Five Man, and then my favorite, Chojin Sentai Jetman. I love Chojin Sentai Jetman. Chojin Sentai Jetman is hilarious. It is this like usual sentai flair color coordinated youth who fight mm-hmm. monsters with mechs but it also is like very very melodramatic and very very like based on these character dynamics so it's like watching a soap opera that also has a team of color coordinated superheroes fighting monsters where like first half of the episode will be them dealing with interpersonal issues and then at the end of the episode they fight a monster <laughs> It's great. Oh, so like Supernatural. Yes. So also don't bring Supernatural into this good Christian Minecraft server. Yeah, this is my Christian Minecraft server. Notch will be very mad. Two of the Jetman team members, Red Hawk and Black Condor, they're all named after birds, are frequently caught in this rivalry between each other, and they have a love triangle with White Swan, who's the one of the female rangers. White Swan, in particular, is portrayed as this like rich heiress who only became a Jetman because she was bored. Like She was like, I don't have anything to do. I'm going to join this elite squadron of heroes and fight crime. <laughs> That's my job now. And that's like the thing with the Jetman characters is they all joined on their own accord. They weren't like called up to do this. They all were just like, let's become Jetman. <laughs> like, let's do it. One story in particular involves, I believe it's White Swan. I haven't watched the episode in a bit, but she's injured in a crash and convinced that she is paralyzed, though they do test that she has no physical damage. So there's this whole sequence where they're trying to convince her that she's not paralyzed. And they're like, you can do it. You can get up. And they push her down a hill when she's in her wheelchair. (laughs) It's like so silly. And then she like falls over and they're like, get up. (laughs) I remember you telling me about this episode and being like, yeah, so they just push her. And I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, they just like push her down the wheelchair. That sentence grabbed me by the throat and shook me until my teeth rattled. Holy shit. Like, no, no, but she she can actually walk. It's not that she's, like, actually paralyzed. Yeah, but she has, like, PTSD. That's the problem, is she's, like, mentally... Yeah. Oh, my God. She is scarred and in shock from, like, the, the war that she's been fighting with these monsters and from the, the accident she was in. And they're just like, you can just, just push through it, kid. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Characters do die in Jetman, which I think, like, characters oh. died before in other shows, but it's, this is, like, what a couple of the main characters actually die toward the end. Like permadeath? Yeah, permadeath. So, Yo. Uh, spoiler alert, one of the main five dies, and the, the, the characters actually have to deal with the repercussions of the death of that character, and it hurts them i mean it's their team breaking apart so jetman is very like very very dramatic for a super sentai show for children again mind you this was a show for children (laughs) when did this air jetman came out in because i'm just thinking about was it miki momo where they murdered her yeah shojin sentai jetman came out in 95 1991 oh okay came out in 91 okay yeah no miki momo predates that by a good chunk but, like, they killed a kid by getting her hit with a truck. So, like, they pioneered that being okay. Apparently. It happens. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't a permadeath. They do bring her back. But it was still, like, yes. traumatizing for children. I can imagine. Yes. After Jetman came probably the most influential of Super Sentai stories. And really, it's only influential because of what happened to it. If... It was not localized in America. It would have gone unnoticed, most likely. But it was Kyoto Sentai Zyudenja, which debuted in 1992. Mm-hmm. From a distance, it, again, may seem like your usual Super Sentai flair. Color-coordinated rangers. They were themed after dinosaurs in this one. But it was picked up by an American studio called Saban. Now, Saban wanted to create a TV show for the Fox Kids programming block. And they obtained the distribution rights to Zyudenja. However, they decided they weren't going to do a simple dub. 
they just remade the show essentially they took footage from the show and reshot entire sequences with an entirely new cast creating mighty Morphin power rangers which was the first of the power rangers uh, shows it's really fun because it's very noticeable that they reuse stock footage they didn't shoot new (laughs) scenes of the villain who in power rangers is called rita repulsa and in oh, Judanger is a witch named Bandora. But you notice if you watch Power Rangers, Rita's mouth is not synced to her dialogue. It is mm-hmm. it is out of sync because it is all completely dubbed in of new English dialogue. And the quality of the video would also substantially changed between Judanger and the new footage of the cast because of filming differences in Japan. They were shooting on tape in Japan and we were shooting on tape here, but it was just higher quality tape. So the footage mm-hmm. looks completely different when you have the Rangers fighting. It's really funny when you go back and look at it because it's very obvious now. But I remember as a kid watching Power Rangers and never noticing. Like I was always just like, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely not. Kids don't notice shit. <laughs> it's also really important to note that Judanger is incredibly different from Power Rangers in terms of just the storylines and the characters. For one, mm-hmm. the team of the Judangers is actually, they're like ancient spirit representation of dinosaurs who take the form of kids. All the Rangers are like 170 million years old. They were resurrected to fight Bandora, who's this evil witch who comes from the moon. And... In Power Rangers, it's contemporary teens who gain their ranger yep. abilities when they meet a giant face named Zordon. Uh, so yep, they're just they're just some fucking kids. Yeah, they're just kids. Growing up, my mom was actually like very close friends with the OG Red Ranger. Oh, that's awesome. So I, that's why I watched Power Rangers because like I knew the the guy. Yeah, you knew him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also funny, I think, with Power Rangers, they always tried to keep their identity secret. I mean, they still wore the colors when they were, like, yeah. at school. Like, the Blue Ranger wore blue all the time. But in mm-hmm. Judanger, they don't care. So, because they're not... They, they're 170 million years old. They haven't been on Earth in forever. So, they just walk around, said, like, in their uniforms and stuff like that. They're just like, yeah, we're Rangers, what of it? I found it interesting that when they imported it, they, like, made these significant changes. I, like... I don't know if you found this in your research, but I'd want to know, like, why they made those changes in the first place. Yeah. Because those are obviously very deliberate decisions. It's something that was, I think, Saban just wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, they, they wanted something that they could call their own. They wanted something that they could market differently than Judanger. Mm-hmm. So Saban was created by a Israeli-American media proprietor named Haim Saban, who... At that time, I think he was just looking for the next big thing. And he, he'd already produced content before for people like Fox. And I think he had already tried doing dubs and such. And I think this was just the new tactic, you know, this idea of, well, mm-hmm. we have this footage. Let's just use it and do something new with it. And, and that was one way to market it. I think it was a brilliant idea because, I mean, obviously it was a multi-million dollar idea. But like in the sense that I think... It would have been completely different to just dub Judanger. I think it wouldn't have probably been as popular here if they had just dubbed it outright. Because mm-hmm. it's different when you dub anime. Because with anime, you can kind of get away with the lip sync sort of th- situation. Mm-hmm. And there's ways you can get around that. But when you're doing dubbing of live action, at least here in America, there was kind of this negative association with live action Japanese movies in particular coming to America and being dubbed. I mean, people used to always criticize like the old Godzilla movies when they were dubbed and being like, oh, their mouths never matched up. You know, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's hard to watch. And I think when they had this successful show over in Japan's Danger, they were like, we got to do something different because it's not going to work if we have to dub over these people and have it look ridiculous. And the great thing is when they're in their ranger uniforms, their mouths don't move because they're wearing helmets. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if they dubbed over them because you can't tell. So Mm -hmm. I think it was a brilliant idea, especially for a money reason, obviously, but also it was smart. I think it was a way of not just honoring the original material but it was also a way of recreating that material for an audience like america in the 90s and i will say i think while americans were 
well aware of tokusatsu thanks to things like godzilla it really wasn't until power rangers did it become a mainstream thing in america because i know power rangers used to actually air little specials where they talked about go ranger and they would talk about judanger and they would talk about super sentai from japan and how it had an influence on their show and i think that was a great way of introducing kids to this concept that there is other content outside of america and that it might be worth looking into <laughs> if you can and i think that was a smart thing to do as opposed to just pretending it didn't exist and I do know that some people, I think, I think there are purists over here where people like are like, oh, I only watch Power Rangers. Oh, I only watch Sentai. I think actually in Japan, there's really not that sort of purism. I think Power Rangers is actually fairly popular in Japan alone in that Power Rangers does get over there and it gets dubbed over there. So there's, you know, I know for a fact that it's referenced in Toku content where in Akiba Ranger, which is a parody of Super Sentai, there's an episode where they meet American Rangers and it's the red and green Ranger who look like the Zhu Ranger versions, except specifically they have red, white, and blue belts because they're supposed <laughs> to be the Power Ranger versions. And they are always speaking English, but badly and also like swearing. They're like, oh, hell, we got to fight the bad guys and get burgers after. It's like, an obvious <laughs> reference to Power Rangers without being Power Rangers. And they do a great job with it. And I think there's still that love for, you know, I think there is a love for Power Rangers over in Japan that, you know, we have here, but they had it first. They had it within, you know, Super Sentai. <laughs> so. We put a dub in your dub so you could dub all you dub. Exactly. I also like how, like what you said about how it was easy to dub the scenes of the Rangers, like in their uniforms. And I remember when I saw like pieces of it, they always made these really exaggerated movements yes, and it was yeah. super mm-hmm. cheesy, but like it just kind of worked. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes when you watch the original scene from like Judanger or later Power Rangers will continue to recycle footage from other Sentai sh- series. If you watch the original scene, sometimes there's just no dialogue in those scenes. So they just added dialogue <laughs> in for no reason. It's great. I love it. Uh-huh. very good yeah so i think we alluded to it earlier but godzilla and tokusatsu really as a whole owe a lot of popularity outside of japan to the prevalence of bootleg fan subs in the early days these were distributed by local film clubs vhs trading groups a lot of times they would meet via bulletin board systems on the early internet and uh, convention trading groups so people would meet up at conventions and they would book a hotel room and they would all go into the hotel room and just watch bootleg vhs tapes like that was a thing oh man Mm -hmm. that's how the furries like the concept of furries started out it used to be a group that would meet up at conventions and watch bootleg tapes of shows from asia and in other countries that weren't here in america and they would just watch these funny animal tapes they called them and then they became the furries so (laughs) so that's the culture God bless God bless the furries. (laughs) I mentioned those bootleg fan subs briefly in our fan sub episode um, and how the first fan subs were these like fan made tapes that people would trade. People would copy them. Yeah. And VHS tapes degrade the more you copy them. Yeah. So (laughs) you would stumble upon some really crappy (laughs) fan subs back then. Also, there was no like standard to because there is no standard yeah. to fan subs right so everyone does it differently there's tons of fan subbing communities uh, and that's the same in the toku in the toku fan subbing community it, there's plenty of different people mm-hmm. who do it there's still different communities who do it and everyone does it differently some people do it a bit more intensely than others some just like change some words and then like do a big block of text covering the screen to give you editor's notes oh the translator's the note. translator's oh, notes God. yep all according to kikaku <laughs> oh, my boy. so i think the reason for this was mostly due to the interest in the original unedited content and that was because when americans were getting godzilla films particularly we were getting dubbed godzilla films we weren't getting subbed godzilla films so when you went to go see a godzilla film in theaters it would be dubbed And a lot of times the dubbing wasn't good. Sometimes it was okay, but it was often made fun of. It was often joked about. 
it cost sales for these movies over here. So people who were interested in Godzilla and interested in tokusatsu had to find ways to watch them. So they would have friends in Japan who would send them over bootleg tapes. So there was like no sub option officially? Not back then. Not at least for a lot of people. Mm -mm. I mean, so some Godzilla films may have gotten subbed, but it was very, there wasn't a distribution for it. So it might have been a local Mm. art house cinema screening a copy of it, but it wasn't like you'd go to the store and buy a VHS tape of a subbed Godzilla versus a dubbed Godzilla. They were always dubbed no matter what. Mm. And some of them were heavily edited, too. I mean, the first Godzilla movie that came out in America, which was just the first Godzilla, had an entirely new character played by an American actor who they would cut away to and he would describe what was going on in the movie because apparently American audiences couldn't figure it out. (laughs) So it would just cut away to this American guy who would be like, there's a giant monster attacking the small town and da 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 da. He was a good actor. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. He's a good actor, but it was, it was like <sighs> kind of unnecessary. So people wanted to see the original That's content. Kind of patronizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Early tokusatsu also had some spread due to shows like Mystery Science Theater 3000, which originally aired on KTMAA, a local television station later on the Sci-Fi Channel. They showed Gamera movies. They showed Godzilla movies. Mostly they were the lower quality cuts or the always the dubbed versions and they would provide funny commentary for anyone who's never seen a mst3k show now tokusatsu television like the super sentai series does have an american distributed release now through the shout factory so shout factory is they started out as a small distribution team but they're kind of growing in size but they kind of are the like distribution for weird like obscure media and they have recently been distributing the sentai series that has been used for power rangers through the early 90s into the early 2000s though they did just release children sentai jetman which was the first release they've done pre-power rangers they haven't gone further back than that yet it's assumed that there's still some right stuff going on with toei Mm -hmm. so they can't necessarily just release out whatever they want it's unfortunate but that's just the way it is so if you do want to watch the previous stuff before chojin sentai jetman from the 70s you're most likely going to have to rely on fan subs there is an official toei youtube channel but a majority of it is blocked in the united states which is very unfortunate so that's what the vpn is for (laughs) yeah get yourself a vpn it's also blocked in (laughs) other countries too for specific shows there is a breakdown that people like toku fans have made of which countries block which content and which countries don't it's very frustrating for toku fans (laughs) to watch these shows for free so yeah unfortunately if you want to get into the newer stuff it's a little hard and anything really also shout factory really has only done stuff from the early 2000s in the 90s they haven't done anything recently so if you want to watch stuff like gokaiger which was from 2012 you'll likely have to find fan subs of it gokaiger is a great one they're all space pirates and the red ranger is called captain marvelous it's just such a funny name (laughs) it's a great name Gokaiger I love because they reference past Sentai. It was done as an anniversary series, so they will transform into various previous rangers, which is kind of cool. Now, in terms of influence, shows like Kamen Rider and Super Sentai have had a huge influence. Probably the most obvious place is in anime. The Sentai franchise widely influenced the design of Sailor Moon, especially in terms of the transformations, as the creator of Sailor Moon was a fan of Super Sentai, and Sailor Moon ended up having a live-action tokusatsu spinoff called Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, which is very, very Sentai-themed, as you can imagine, with a (laughs) color-coordinated team of heroes. Now, other anime, such as Samurai Flamenco, is massively inspired by classic tokusatsu, especially the Super Sentai series. I mean, the name of the team in Samurai Flamenco is called Samurai Sentai Flamenco. Um, which is an obvious reference to the naming conventions that they use in Super Sentai. There's the character of Moomin Rider from One Punch Man, who's Common Rider, except this time he rides a, a wow. bicycle. Um, yes, my boy. I mean, his outfit is obviously inspired by the Common Rider classic outfit. He rides a bicycle, not a motorcycle, but pretty, you know, pretty close. And then for America, we've had the recent Godzilla films done by Legendary. 
So they have their own American versions. There's also other giant monster movies such as J.J. Abrams's Cloverfield, Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. And in 2017, Saban released the reboot Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie called Saban's Power Rangers, which has entirely new designs, new monsters, new mechazords, they're called, which are the mechs. And that was pretty popular. I mean, that they paid homage to the origins of the IP, but also to the original Power Rangers. I heard it's a pretty good movie. I heard it's kind of like watching Breakfast Club with giant monsters in it. So that's the description I've heard. Did you get a chance to watch Samurai Flamenco? I've seen bits of it. I haven't actually sat through and watched it, which is sad because I probably should watch it as a Toku fan. Well, it's funny because I started rewatching it and I forgot how much I really liked it. But when I looked at the reviews, a lot of them were from Super Sentai fans. So Samurai Fomenko is about this guy, Masayoshi Hazama, who is super obsessed with Super Sentai and becomes this vigilante hero called Samurai Fomenko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first like half of the show is him getting the shit beaten out of him because he wants to be this hero, but he can't fight. And the people he's going up against are like teenagers loitering and like people putting out their trash. Oh no. 10 minutes too early. So it's like really low grade shit like that. But then the second half gets weird. And I think a lot of people have an issue with the second half because it turns from like a loving homage to Super Sentai to like kind of an actual Super Sentai show. Oh, weird. And I think that shift lost a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I loved it, but also I don't know a whole lot about Super Sentai, so that might be why. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think I personally love it, but I know people had similar response to Akiba Ranger, which was a, a I mentioned it earlier, was a parody of the Super Sentai series. And in the first chunk of Akiba Ranger, it's like this team that wants to be the official Sentai for Akihabara. That's why it's called Akiba mm. Ranger, because they're located, they have a Sentai cafe instead of a maid cafe, which is all like, oh, no. yeah, which is all themed on like Super Sentai stuff. And the main character is a pizza delivery guy who like becomes a ranger because he wants to. And it's like in the first half, they obviously fight some monsters and stuff, but there's kind of this whole like, how do they become an official ranger? And then the second season kind of makes them out to be very almost official. Things get kind of a little more serious. It's interesting that it's kind of the same. I think there's some of the same complaints with that. I liked both seasons. I definitely recommend Mm -hmm. Akiba Ranger for anyone that's interested in Super Sentai. Though I probably recommend watching a Super Sentai first so you understand some of the references. (laughs) That's fair advice. And finally, just outside of Japan and America, Tokusatsu is also inspired other shows and movies there was super inframan in hong kong which was kind of a low quality toku like show sport ranger in thailand a super sentai style show and then pulgasari in north korea which was a giant monster movie produced by kim jong-il where the director of the movie was a director who was kidnapped by the north korean government and forced to make the movie (laughs) It's not a good movie, but it is a giant monster movie that exists. I mean, he was kidnapped to make it. There's an official like DVD release in America. (laughs) Like I've seen it, so (laughs) you can find it. Not a very good movie, but it's um, a giant monster movie outside (laughs) of Japan. So a toku outside of Japan, you would say. But yeah, that's my primary notes on the history of tokusatsu and some of the stuff that I I like about it. I think the thing I always love about tokusatsu is it's this, like, a lot of it is very similar to itself. I mean, there's kind of, like, a reoccurring joke in the fandom where, like, Super Sentai in particular, when they're fighting, they always end up in, like, a quarry for some reason because that's just, like, the filming location that's available. (laughs) So, like, they'll go from, like, fighting somewhere in Tokyo to just all of a sudden they're all in a quarry fighting this monster. And it's like, okay... And that, like, that's consistent through the series. You know, everyone, they end up in a quarry. To the point where in the, like, anniversary movie, all of them team up and they're all fighting in a quarry. That's very <laughs> And it's good. like Doctor Who, right? I mean, in Doctor Who, it's always a gravel quarry for some reason. <laughs> but, like, there's, just, there's something about, I think, the shows that a lot of them really do try to take themselves incredibly serious but have this 
obvious like silliness to them and i think that's like the thing i love yeah. about Jetman is it's this melodrama that i would describe as like a soap opera but also there's just giant monsters that show up sometimes there's an episode where they fight a ramen bowl like a massive bowl of ramen <laughs> that has noodle arms and it's so silly but good. it's so good <laughs> like and it's because like a, a child makes like a wish on a magical vending machine or something like there's just silly things like that <laughs> One of the Sentai has a child turn into one of the rangers. So he like grows six feet and like is like a full-sized adult when he's a ranger. But the rest of the time he's a child who's literally like 12. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah. So they're, they're weird shows. but And Kamen Rider is also like that. It's very weird. It's very bizarre. It has funny, goofy things like that, but also still takes itself very seriously sometimes. And I think that's one of the appeals to me, I, I find, is the melodrama. It doesn't really need to be there, but it is there. And that makes it great, especially because these are, again, children's shows. So they don't really need to have the melodrama, but they do have them. And, you know, I respect that. Yeah. I feel like I should have asked you this at the beginning, but did you get into Super Sentai and Tokusatsu through watching power rangers and then getting curious about where that came from or i watched power rangers as a child but i wasn't probably as into it as my brother Mm -hmm. was so when my brother was growing up he's six years older than me he grew up through power rangers's release i was very young so i obviously watched it through him but i don't really remember a lot of power rangers growing up what I got into was kaiju movies like Godzilla and Mothra and specifically the classic kaiju movies that I was introduced through things like Mystery Science Theater 3000 or sometimes like late night channels would just air kaiju movies for some reason, usually always dubbed, like, you know, badly dubbed. So I watched those and I I just found something so admirable about them. And when I... I went to school for filmmaking, so when I was learning filmmaking, one thing I would do is I would watch movies from other countries, and obviously I would stumble upon things like Godzilla or Gamera, and learning about the ways that they did the productions, where they would have a man in a rubber costume dressed as Godzilla stomping through a set that looked like Tokyo to do these movies, and I think that was so admirable for the time. You know, you don't have that kind of production anymore. I guess with mocap, it's starting to almost become that now, where when you do mocap, you have a little bit of that, but there's still something so, so just wholesome about seeing a rubber suit stomp through a fake version of Tokyo and have these, like, obviously, like, store-bought models of airplanes flying around it. Uh Uh-huh and it's very yeah good. very very campy very goofy and and to see the evolution of like original godzilla this very serious post-war sci-fi drama about the horrors of nuclear war evolve over the course of 10 years to like godzilla versus megalon where he does a slide on his tail to like kick another monster he literally like backs up and then he just like glides on his tail across the screen to kick a monster. <laughs> and he does it twice in the same scene. God. And they use the exact same footage twice. So they did it <laughs> once. And then when editing, they were like, let's do it again. <laughs> and it's, it's to me, there's something so admirable about that where they took something so serious and they turned it into such a parody of itself but they still did it really well and learning about godzilla i then learned about things like super sentai and i I found the connection between power rangers really fascinating and i had a hipster phase where i was like i didn't watch power rangers i watched super sentai but (laughs) there there was something fun about stumbling on Jetman for the first time where you had these like really weird melodramas that i was watching and enjoying and i was like i'm actually really invested in these characters despite how ridiculous these characters are as a whole so yeah i think that was kind of what got me into it it was just the love of filmmaking and and just learning about different ways to do filmmaking and and kind of just discovering it alone i obviously i did remember power rangers so there was some memory of that but i never really considered myself a power rangers fan 
I do, in retrospect, think Power Rangers is a really fun show, and I do like watching episodes now. I'm not super into the more recent stuff. I like watching repeats of the older stuff, but yeah. Yay! Are there any shows you'd recommend? Like, if someone wanted Mm -hmm. to say, like, I want to get into Tokusatsu, what should I absolutely go track down? From an availability standpoint, if you want to be legit and watch what's currently available for the American audience in terms of physical availability. Obviously the Godzilla movies, I think are an important thing to watch. If you want to get into Tokusatsu Ultraman went through this whole hassle of a bunch of like rights and distribution things going on with the original creator and finally has like a proper Blu-ray release available in north america so if you want to watch ultraman that's it's readily available unfortunately we don't have anything older than jetman but i love jetman so if you want to pick up jetman it's currently available from shout factory completely with uh english subtitles no dubbing it's all the original audio and really i think those are the kind of the steps that if you want to get into classic toku that's some of the stuff that's available you know legally at least i mean if you want to explore the realms of piracy there's certainly um <laughs> early common rider and early sentai are are out there on official streaming sites i'm sure but i can't condone that so i will say i highly recommend watching if you do watch godzilla watch the original don't watch the american remake you uh, or american dub i will say the american dub isn't that bad it's not great but Watch the Japanese version first, at least, and then watch the American one. If you watch the American one first, you might be a little turned off by it. Yeah. Also, the Criterion Collection recently just like started releasing all of the classic Showa Godzilla, and almost all of it's available on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max, you can watch hmm. a bunch of classic Godzilla movies, like Son of Godzilla, where you meet his terrifying child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's a very terrifying child. <laughs> But yeah. Yeah, in terms of anime, the only ones I've seen are Samurai Flamenco. Netflix Japan is putting out weekly episodes, but Godzilla Singular Point mm. is coming to US Netflix, subbed and dubbed in June, which will probably it'll probably be out by the time this episode comes out. Oh hey. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very science heavy, which is interesting. There are, like, points where if I zone out for two seconds, I won't understand what's happening because they're talking about, like, light being sent through time and how that relates to suddenly... Is it Radon just shows up out of nowhere? Oh, Rodan? Rodan, yeah. yeah. So, like, they'll switch from talking about impossible physics to there are weird monsters showing up and we're trying to figure out how to deal with them and stuff. It's weird. I, I don't know how, like, actual Godzilla fans what they think of it i think we won't really know until june when it gets like a wider release but it's interesting for me because i know basically nothing about godzilla other than like seeing what is it king of monsters a couple years ago Mm. yeah yeah i mean there's other anime too that obviously has toku influence and inspiration i mean i think without toku we wouldn't have mobile suit gundam i mean even ava Mm -hmm. which i think i think heavily pulls from Mm -hmm, tokusatsu mm -hmm. but also I know it was popular for a while, but SSSS Gridman, which was a mm. actually a sequel series to a tokusatsu that they did as an anime, as opposed to a mm. toku, which was based on Denko Chojin Gridman, um, which was a 90s toku. I don't even know if that was popular. Oh, and Robot Detective is great. That's another one I forgot to mention. There was like a 90s or uh, 80s or so a toku called Robot Detective, and it's about a detective who is a robot. And he wears a suit and he drives a sports car. <laughs> is that the one you have a laser disc yes, of? I have a I have an undubbed Japanese laser disc from Japan of Robot Detective. Uh it's beautiful. Robot Detective, my blood. Oh, he's fantastic. I love <laughs> Robot Detective. I mean, I think Tokusatsu is such a wide ranging genre that there's tons of stuff to check out and get interested in. Mm-hmm. If it's available in your country, check out the Toei official YouTube channel. Uh, and try to find something that's available to watch i think all of robot detective <laughs> is available in the united states because that current yep it is robot detective at least is available if you want to check it out and that currently doesn't have any weird copyright law uh, the copyright things on it 
Hasbro. Good to know. Yeah, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, Zach, if people want to find you in other places, where could they go? Yeah, well, if you don't want to hear me talk about tokusatsu, which I don't (laughs) on my podcast, you can check out Classic Gaming Brothers at www.classicgamingbrothers.com. Uh, we are available also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. The other ones are just Classic Gaming Brothers. Uh, we are a podcast uh, hosted by myself and my brother, who is six years older than me, and we talk about our time growing up playing video games and our love of video games, and we go over various topics of the week. We are a weekly podcast. We come out on Sundays. Our most recent episode, as of recording this, was an episode on Mortal Kombat. I don't know as of release, because pod time is is magical and scary <laughs> Woo! so it's nebulous it's nebulous who knows so, who knows who knows <laughs> it might be on paperboy on release so anyway uh yeah that's where you can find us out we're available on all the social medias again don't really talk about tokusatsu at all so <laughs> Dude, if you're interested in my opinion on tokusatsu this is your one chance <laughs> but if you're interested in mostly like old games yeah i mean we primarily focus on classic video games as the name implies but we do occasionally talk about modern games we do a we have a sub series within our podcast where we talk about indie games with indie developers so if that's something you're interested in we did a breakdown of a recent indie visual novel that we got to speak to the creator of and um, we spent some time talking to them about that so um yeah various video game stuff go over everything from popular series like sonic to less popular things like the apple pippin a console made by apple that was released and only sold about twenty thousand units so yikes yes it was not good it was a failure (laughs) to say the least You can find us on Twitter at Two Eaves in a Trench or on Instagram at Two Eaves in a Trench Coat. You can email us at Weaves in a Trench Coat at gmail.com. Our opening theme is Our Way by Vitney. And the music you're listening to right now is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers. I'm Madison. And I'm Suzanne. And I'm Zach. Always remember that through the fairies, you could ask Mothra for help. It's true. And she'll always come and help you. <laughs> also, Spider-Man's one true power is machine guns. And he's from hell. <laughs> he's from hell. Spider-Man is from hell. 